Chapter Twelve of the Dawn of Medieval Europe, four seventy six to nine eighteen by J. H. B. Masterman. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Pamela Nagami. Pippin, King of the Franks. In accordance with the Frank law of inheritance, the dominions of Charles fell at his death to his two sons, Carloman and Pippin the former taking Austrasia and the dependent territories of the east, while Neustria and Burgundy fell to Pippin. But so close was the accord between the two brothers that they practically acted as joint rulers of the whole Frank kingdom. For his younger son Grifo, whose position as the child of an irregular marriage was so like his own, Charles appears to have made some provision by carving out a little area at the frontier of Neustria and Austrasia, with a capital at the city of Laon, which was destined more than two hundred years later to be the last stronghold of the Carolingian house. No sooner had the death of Charles become known than disturbances began in all directions. Aquitaine, Schwabia, and Saxony attempted to throw off the Frankish yoke, and Grifo appears to have headed a rising of malcontent Neustrian nobles. After a siege in Laon, he and his mother, the Bavarian Schwanehilt, were captured. Schwanehilt was sent to a monastery near Paris, where we lose sight of her, and Grifo kept in prison for years in a fortress of the Ardennes. Before turning to the task of repressing the rebellious provinces, the two mayors determined to give technical legality to their position by placing a Merovingian on the throne. They found somewhere a certain Childeric who served their purpose, and him they enthroned as the last king of the old royal house of Clovis. Then they marched against Odilo, Duke of Bavaria, in 743, who only a short time before had married their sister Hiltrudis against their wish, but with the approval and perhaps at the instigation of Schwanehild. In some way that is not very clear this marriage was connected with the rebellion of Odilo against the Frankish overlordship. Odilo appears in some accounts as the organizer of a great alliance of malcontent provinces, Aquitaine, Alemannia, and even the Slavs of the north. But the two mayors marched straight on Bavaria and met the Bavarian forces on the borders of the duchy where the river Lesch flows to join the Danube. Here, after facing each other for fifteen days, they joined battle and the Bavarians were broken. Odilo escaped but was subsequently captured, imprisoned, and then a year later restored to his duchy. He died soon after, leaving a little son, Tassilo, of whom we shall hear again. The next three years, from 744 to 746, were years of constant warfare with Saxons, Alemannians, and Aquitanians. The only episode that needs specific record is the expedition of Carloman against the Alemannians in 746, when he is said to have invited them to meet him at a gemat or assembly at Kanschat, and then surrounded them with Frankish troops and put a large number to the sword. Such acts of treachery are not uncommon in the record of these days, but the sequel is more unusual. Struck with contrition at his own deed, Carloman determined to expiate it by laying down his office and adopting the monastic life. In this year, says the chronicler, 
carloman laid open to his brother pippin a thing upon which he had long been meditating namely his desire to relinquish his secular life and serve god as a monk so in 747 carloman set out for rome where he received the tonsure and founded a monastery at mount soricht after a time he moved on to monte cassino where he delighted in performing the most menial tasks till his name and history being betrayed by his servant he was accorded a more honourable position of him we shall hear again meanwhile pippin was left as sole mayor of francia and his first act was one of ill-judged clemency he liberated grifo from captivity and endowed him with large revenues but grifo proved as intractable as he had been six years before he fled to the saxons whom he stirred up to revolt and when pippin marched into saxony he escaped into bavaria where he succeeded in getting possession of the little duke tassilo and his mother on the advance of pippin the bavarians surrendered grifo who was then forgiven by his brother and given substantial territories in neustria with le mans as his capital but all was in vain and grifo continued to stir up trouble for pippin till the year 753 when in the act of crossing the alps to join the lombards who were on the eve of a war with the franks he was intercepted by two counts of pippin's army and in the skirmish that followed all three were killed his death though he was a traitor to his country was a cause of grief to pippin before this event an important change had come to the frankish kingdom since grimoald's ill-fated attempt to dispossess the merovingian line the house of st arnulf had been content with the substance of power leaving the form of it to the kings whom they set up it is not possible to say what motives led pippin to desire to end this anomalous position possibly in a country that the efforts of boniface and his monks were rapidly making christian pippin felt that the religious sanction of a royal consecration might strengthen the authority of his house whatever the motive may have been the facts are thus narrated by the monastic chronicler in the year 750 of the lord's incarnation pippin sent ambassadors to rome to pope zacharias to ask concerning the kings of the franks who were of the royal line and were called kings but had no power in the kingdom save only that charters and privileges were drawn in their names but on the first day of march in the campus according to ancient custom gifts were offered to these kings by the people and the king himself sat in the royal seat with the army standing around him and he commanded on that day whatever was decreed by the franks but on all other days he stayed at home pope zacharias therefore in the exercise of his apostolic authority replied to their question that it seemed to him better and more expedient that the man who held power in the kingdom should be called king and be king rather than he who falsely bore that name therefore the aforesaid pope commanded the king and the people of the franks that pippin who was exercising the royal power should be called king and occupy the royal seat which was therefore done by the anointing of the holy archbishop boniface in the city of soissons there pippin is proclaimed king and childeric who was falsely called king is tonsured and sent into a monastery here then we reach the meeting place of the old and the new 
pippin is lifted as frankish kings had been lifted for unnumbered generations before him on the shields of the warriors and saluted his king but he is also as no other frankish king had ever yet been anointed in the church at soissons as a christian king but what was the share of the pope in all this we may be sure that the inquiry of the franks was never intended to imply any right over the frankish throne vested in the roman bishop but a change in the royal dynasty was a religious act if disapproved by the religious authorities it would be deprived of its value and boniface was likely to use all his influence to persuade the mayor of the palace to act in accord with the wishes of the pope in this important step the whole incident shows how much more close and harmonious the relations of pippin were with the ecclesiastical authorities than those of his illustrious father and it also marks the beginning of a new chapter in the history of europe in which the fortunes of the frank kingdom and the roman see which had hitherto had little relation to each other become so intertwined as to make inevitable at last the formal recognition of their mutual dependence in the coronation of charles the great fifty years later for some years after this time the main interest of pippin's reign centres in his relations with italy which can be more conveniently dealt with in the next chapter it was not until seven fifty six that pippin was free to turn his attention to the affairs of his own kingdom his first task was the usual contest with the rebellious saxons of this turbulent people we shall have more to say when we deal with their conquest by charles the great pippin's campaign reduced them to a measure of submission and the promise of annual tribute shortly after this pippin completed the work of driving the saracens out of the province of septimania moslem rule which depended largely on gothic dislike for the franks had already been undermined and on the promise that their local independence should be preserved the visigoths of narbon rose slew the saracen garrison and opened the gates to the frankish king the pyrenees became once more the boundary line of saracen rule the closing years of pippin's reign from seven fifty nine to seven sixty eight were spent in a great struggle with waif duke of aquitaine who made a determined bid for independence the reduction of the province proved no easy task and in the middle of the war pippin's nephew tassilo of bavaria deserted the army and declared that he would serve under his uncle's flag no more pippin was too fully occupied with aquitaine to punish tassilo's treachery and it was not until seven sixty eight after nearly nine years of war that the death of waif brought his duchy once more under the frankish rule pippin's settlement of the province was statesmanlike and wise he made no attempt to extend the laws of the franks to a people who still accounted themselves romans but enacted that all men romans and salians alike should keep their own laws and that if any man should come from another province he should live according to the law of his own country the settlement of aquitaine was pippin's last work he died in september seven sixty eight at the age of fifty-four worn out by the labours of a strenuous reign of almost constant fighting of pippin's personal character we know scarcely anything the tradition that he was small of stature is late but may be true he is reputed to have been a man of great physical strength 
and he was certainly shrewd and brave his interest in the work of boniface leads one to think of him as sincerely anxious for the extension of christianity in his kingdom his greatest work was the extension of frankish influence beyond the alps in the land that was destined to cast so strange a spell for generations over the rulers of those german lands that he ruled so long and so well End of chapter twelve